What's up, everybody? Welcome back to No Holding Back, the podcast, a shameless podcast spotlighting the highs and lows that creators experience on their journey. So for this week for episode two, we have Ms. Siobhan Harris, who is the founder and CEO of Thrive In. And if you're not familiar with Thrive In, it is a social enterprise equipping Black, Gen Z, and millennial women with the tools, resources, networks, and transformational access needed to thrive in the workplace and beyond, while also helping companies build truly inclusive workplaces where Black women and women of color are seen, supported, and valued. Just a little bit of backstory about Siobhan and I's relationship. She is truly someone that has championed me um, as a creative within the corporate space and trying to navigate this space and come out, you know, (laughs) in one piece. She is truly a personification of her organization, Thrive In, and I'm so happy to have her um, come by No Holding Back the Podcast and just chat with all of us and give y'all some gems and, you know, um, understanding about some things that you might be feeling within your workplace, um, you know, as that creative person. Because you, at the end of the day, you just want to create, but there are just some nuances within corporate America and within these workspaces that, you know, that you might struggle with so without further ado please enjoy episode two of no holding back all righty siobhan thank you so much for coming by at no holding back the podcast this is the second time that we're doing this so i so appreciate you for coming through again um and chatting with me and you know um going into this awesome dialogue and so um you i made it a point to have someone like you on the podcast because you Everything that you stand for is for uplifting Black women in the space of corporate America. And I feel like it coincides with the premise of the podcast, which is to help creatives along this path mm-hmm. and make sure they don't give up, you know, along the way because they're hitting roadblocks or they're, mm-hmm. they're running into corporate spaces that don't uplift them. And so um, I thought you would be the perfect person to chat with. And so first things first, I would love for you to introduce who you are and what it is that you do within the space of media, entertainment, marketing, communications, and all that. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Taylor. Second time is the best time. So I, I'm here for it. You know, so I, yeah, I'm here for it. So no, I'm excited to chat with you. So Siobhan Harris, and I wear a couple different hats. I am by day a brand strategist. Uh, I'm a strategy director at a marketing firm. And so there I really create strategies for brands. We go in, we look at what is the challenge that we're trying to solve for. And from your audience to your positioning to your brand essence, like how can we present this brand in an evolved way that will really uh, make an impact and really penetrate the different audiences that we've identified that you want to hit. And so with that, there's a lot of collaboration with creative, the actual creative team. We're starting to go into execution. There is a lot of observing and listening as well. Um, And so I enjoy it. It keeps me sharp. It's a lot of critical thinking. And then I also have my own business. I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, I have my own company called Thrive-In. And so Thrive-In, we provide resources, career advancement, um, opportunities, uh, talent recruitment, and glass-breaking confidence is what we call it for Black women to thrive in the workplace. And we focus on Black Gen Z uh, and millennial women. And it's how can we help you get to the goal? And how can we help you get there faster? Understanding that a lot of times Black women running faster is at the same pace as our peers because we are a couple steps back because, um, you know, slavery did a number uh, and we're women. 
And so I'm all about how can we do that and let you know that you are supported, sis. You are uplifted. There, there's no competition. There's just love and collaboration and, and genuine uplift where we want nothing but to see you thrive in life. And so, yeah, that, that is me in a nutshell. And then, you know, I, I love pop culture. I love music. I'm a proud <laughs> member of the Beehive. I love culture. And I just love culture. I just love to consume culture and, like, chat about culture and add to the culture and, you know, all the all the things. Like, that really excites me. Yes. So when, when uh, where do you believe that your creativity started? Where did you start to have this mind of like you said, digging into the culture and wanting it to wanting to apply it in different ways um, outside of, you know, just your imagination. Where did that begin for you? Yeah, it's so funny that she said imagination because it literally started in my imagination. I was the kid who I love to read and I love to write. And it was a form of like escapism for me and also release. I was a very shy child. And so I could get lost in words in the best of ways. And if I wrote it on paper, I, I was confident about it. Even if I couldn't say it out loud, I can write it to you and we can talk about it. And so from that, I studied journalism in school. And, you know, my mother, she raised me as black women do. And she said, I want you to get a good job, but you also need to find a job that you enjoy that will pay you for what you like. You know, she and a lot of our parents work because they had to and may not have enjoyed the job. Go ahead, mama. You know, I'm telling you, there is nothing like a mother who sets her child up for success. I'm very blessed in that. Yeah. So I love to write. I love to read. I just was always a lover of words. And so I said, okay, I think journalism. Is something that I could do. And again, for me as a very introverted, shy kid, it's different having a conversation with someone behind the journalism, you know, shield, where now I can ask you the questions and I can dig in in a way that me as Siobhan, I might have felt very much intimidated to do. And it just fed my natural like inquisitiveness of the world around me. And so that ended up translating perfectly into marketing. But it, would, it really started after when it was time to go to college. It was what you want to do, girl. And it was like, I like to read and write. So I guess I'm about to be a journalist. I was like, okay. And I loved Essence Magazine. And I said, well, I want to, I want to, I want my name, you know, on the mass head. And, you know, this is the way to get me there. Yes. So you start off in journalism. I kind of feel like for the journalism girlies, we kind of all follow the same path at some point. And then we end up in marketing and somewhere Mm -hmm. down the line, because that's similar trajectory to my career path as well. But how did you fall into marketing? What was the moment where you were like, okay, Journalism might not be my thing thing, but I think applying my mind in this way is what really challenges me and wants me to pursue this career path. Yeah. So I was in high school and I was either a junior or senior preparing for college. And someone said to me, you know, journalists don't make a lot of money. Right. And I I tell people I have a fear of being broke. It it is probably unhealthy, but it. I do not want to be broke and it is not fun for me. If you have grown up with not a lot of money, it is not fun. It's cute to kiki about after you've overcame, but it ain't fun. And so when I looked up, I said, oh, journalists made like 25, 28,000 at the time. And I was like, mm, I don't know if this might be it. I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know that I'm going to New York. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to go to New York and be poor in a, a dirty apartment with four people hustling it out in that way. I'm like, I don't live that life growing up. That's <laughs> as an adult That's very real. selectively when I don't have to. And so when I was looking at majors, I said, okay, 
I still want to study journalism and really like learn the art of it. But I said, I need a foundation in the event that journalism doesn't work or, you know, it's something that can bring in steady money. And that's where marketing came. And I think what a lot of people forget is that journalism, there's so many transferable qualities that feed right into marketing. Journalists oftentimes make the best marketers. We are naturally inquisitive. We know how to research. We know naturally we stay up to date on the trends from a PR and a marketing perspective. You got to know what's hot. You know how to listen. And so in marketing, you listen to your audiences. You take that and translate that into strategy. And so a lot of those same things that go into making a great journalist, they just transfer perfectly. And so for me, I became naturally excited by the world of PR, which for me, I was like, okay, I can write for the magazine or I can also be the person who's getting a story into the magazine. Or, you know, I can be the person who's helping to make a brand pop. And so the more I got, the deeper I got into it, I saw how vast the career was. And I, I saw that I was actually more prepared for it than what I thought I was. So what part of what part of the marketing process did you fall in love with? Because I know for myself, it was the storytelling part of the mm -hmm. process. Like I got, you get to create a story mm -hmm. and then build it from, you know, like this, this concept and then executing it and then having like, a connection from beginning to end. So what part of the process did you fall in love with that solidified marketing was your was your thing? I like the strategy side. I, I really like going in and a brand says, this is what we want to do. And you do the research I, and we call them uh, either listening sessions or focus groups or discovery interviews. But you go in and you speak to audiences, you do all your research, you talk to your client and it's like, okay, I see why you're having this problem. And now we're going to put it all up on the board. And now I am creating the solution based on here are your audiences. What should be your brand tone of voice? How are we positioning you in the marketplace? You know, what is that brand essence or your core value proposition, which is what a brand offers, what your consumers receive from it. That's really the crux of any good brand. And so for me, it was a lot of thinking and it can be very complex and very challenging, but I think I like the power of it because if you get the strategy down, like the roadmap, it guides everything. And so by the time we're talking creative and social media and all influencers and blah, 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 it's like, where'd I come from though? I just want y'all to know <laughs> that was my deck and that was my mind that laid the foundation for all of this work. And I enjoy the entire process from concept to completion, but I think I've, I've always really enjoyed the strategy side, which is also though, if you are new to marketing, that is the most cumbersome side. That is the most labor intensive side. Yes. If you're doing marketing right, you're going to spend your most time on the strategy. Who are your audiences? What is the brand tone of voice? What is your unique value in the marketplace? And so it ain't it ain't for the week. It is not for the week. I, I tip my hat. It's not. Anyone who is a strategist, I, I tip my hat to them because it is it is it takes a lot of critical thinking. And and if you get it wrong, you, a lot can come falling down. What is a your most favorite campaign or something that you've worked on, um, you know, when you, while working in marketing, what is something that sticks out in your mind that, oh, that was my favorite moment? So when I was working for an agency, this was a couple years ago, uh, our client was Unilever, which Unilever slash Shea Moisture. So Unilever is the umbrella brand. They have a house, a suite of brands underneath them and Shea Moisture is one of them. And so Shea Moisture was in an interesting position because they were wanting to expand their brand to, we're not just for black hair. You know, we are for coarse hair and textured hair is what you'll hear a lot of brands say now. And so they were like, you know, what do, what do we do? How do we break into this market? Because now we're just not talking to black women. We're talking to all women. And there were a lot of campaigns that tried that shift. 
And it's like, why am I seeing white people on a Carol's Daughter ad? This don't feel right. And so they went and they had already had some pitfalls with that. And so we came in and I was one of the lead uh, strategists on the work. And the first thing was we need to do some listening sessions. We need to really listen to women of all races and life stages and understand, like, what are their problems with their hair? And how can Shea Moisture provide a solution? How do they compare Shea Moisture against other natural hair brands? And so we did a listening tour and went to DC, Atlanta, LA, um, created these really focus groups for women. And we did it in an intimate setting. We got these really avant-garde Airbnbs because where do you have the most intimate moments with your hair in your house? And so we brought these women together and just had these really good conversations around their hair because they're so, as we know, there's so much tied into our hair. And so we just got to listen. We got to learn. We did some testing of the actual Shea Moisture product. We saw them observe. We created like a fictitious shopping room for them with other competitor brands. And, you know, they didn't know it was for Shea Moisture. So in my head, I'm like... Mm, why is she picking up that dark and lovely? And, you know, what about, is it the packaging? Are there certain words that they're looking for on the bottles or what? Um, and so that was just awesome because it really set a foundation for so many other campaigns. Because again, you have to know your audience and to know them, you have to listen. They'll tell you what they want and don't want. And so we were able to very easily see, you know, what were some key differentiators and also some areas of opportunity for the brand. And so that, it just spurred so much in-market content but doing that, it was just, it was awesome. And, you know, I was younger in my 20s, so it was also a soft flex. You fly into all these cities, and I'm in these nice, like, Airbnbs, and I'm leading these focus group sessions with these, like, high-powered, you know, global executives and things. And so it was it was really fun, very tough and hard, but, you know, it was very rewarding. And I, at the time, um, my hair is braided right now, but I wear my hair natural and curly. And so I'm like, oh, I'm out here. I'm one of the girls. I'm like, okay, bet. So, no, it was and so I, and I love that experience for you. And I think that's one of the highlights of working within any space as a creative mm-hmm. is being able to like be a part of the process from beginning mm-hmm. to end and actually be successful and you figure out what the, you know, the solution to the problem. And so, you know, and now you, you start working in the field and at what point do you recall like a project or something you worked on that was like, Ooh, like this is the first time my idea got shot down and, you know, or this is the first time like you felt that that gut rushing thing that, oh, no one's jamming with my idea, my concept for this particular campaign or uh, scope of work. You know, it's funny. I can't even remember the first time because there were so many times. (laughs) Because if you work in marketing, you know that there's always a ton of ideas, but you only only one. It's yeah. going to make it. And if, if you're working and a lot of times people in marketing are very vocal because, again, the stakes are high when we get this stuff wrong. And so if people don't like your idea, they will tell you or they will take your idea and try to tweak it. And it's like, that's not what I thought of. Um, and that's not how I conceptualized it. And so, you know, sitting in those brainstorm meetings and I am an overachiever, a student. And so I'm very much if I speak, I want it to be a value. And so I'm not just pulling an idea out of thin air. I've really put some thought into it. And so when I would say these ideas and sometimes it's like, oh. or it's like, no, that's not going to work. Or no, it's not going to work. And I'm like, mm, okay. Okay. And for me, I think that's also what really started to like fuel my pathway into entrepreneurship because but I, where it became challenging is I can fully understand if, you know, strategically the idea may not make the most sense, but I'm like, for me, who has had a good record of great performance, where I would become frustrated is 
you know, when you work for someone else, your thinking and creativity are really confined to a decision maker. And if your boss doesn't like it or if it doesn't fit in the brand standards or if it's out of the tone of voice or personality for a brand, like they're not going to let you do it. There are a lot of different the idea doesn't start and stop with you. And that can work for a lot of people who just want to do their part for a team. But for me, I kept saying, I, I like, I, I literally would take sometimes take personal offense because I'm like, I truly believe we need to do it this way. And it's like, but Shana, that ain't your company. And so I'm like, okay, well, maybe I need to start my own company because I do not like putting this effort into this project as if I own it. I'm, I'm taking ownership and putting passion yeah. into it, but I can't do it like I want. And I might have control issues. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are also like, you know, on the spectrum of being control freaks as well. But yeah, and so it was just, um, it was never a good feeling for me to have my ideas shut down. It's a humbling moment. I've learned so much and I love to collaborate. Um, but especially when I was starting out, it's easy to kind of take that to heart and start to think like, shoot, am I like the dumbest person in the room or, you know, because nobody's really feeling what I have. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that because I feel like there's some people who don't have the entrepreneurial spirit, right? No. Um, and don't have the goals to possibly mm -hmm. set start their own company. Mm -hmm. How do how does someone even navigate those emotions and those feelings and you know being okay with their ideas continue, continuously being shot down? How do you deal with those set of emotions without it turning into an imposter syndrome and festering in that way? Because it's very easy to be discouraged and feel like, well, maybe I don't belong in this room because none of my ideas seem to be sticking yeah. and they don't see the value in me. So how do you navigate that? Yeah. Well, the first thing is you have to understand your own unique value. And that's always what I tell people is like in any room on any MLK Boulevard, what is your value uh, intrinsically as a human being? And then how does that translate into your professional life? And when you are very clear on that, you clearly can understand, you know, if your idea is not being shot down, that that won't impact your value. I also tell people, you know, you have to take your feelings out of it. A lot of times we identify so closely with our work and that, oh, I, I love that idea. It kind of validates a small piece of us or a large piece of us. And so when it doesn't, then you start to feel like you might not be enough because, again, you're looking for that validation from work when really you need to get it from yourself and you probably, you might need to go to church or see a therapist to help fill some of those gaps. And so we're, we are expecting work to like offer us so much. And, and at a lot of times it's, it's not supposed to, you know, it's called work life for a reason. They are, they are two separate things. Um, I believe they should not be the same. Uh, and so it's just, again, you got, you had to know who you are and you also have to know your position on the team. And that's one thing. If you are working in a traditional work environment and if you are not an entrepreneur, when you know your unique value, you know where you can best contribute. There are a lot of people who are not good at ideation and that is perfectly fine. You might be an executor. And so you, you when you're sitting in those meetings and they're brainstorming, you're not thinking, is it a good idea? And will the audience blah, blah, blah. You're thinking, is it how, how are we going to execute it? And logistically, does this make sense on social media or for an experiential pop-up or different things like that? And y'all know this is going to require 55 third-party vendors. That's a big budget. That might be your value mm -hmm. to it. If you are the creative, then you're showing up to the meeting a lot differently. You're offering these big, grandiose ideas. Are you the researcher who, as these ideas are coming up, you're like, well, you know what, y'all? I saw this Pepsi ad, but Coke did something very similar a couple years ago. They're like, bet, because you always know that market industry, or you're going to go find out what our competitors are doing. And so 
Know your value because that'll tell you where you sit on the team. And when you take your feelings out of it, you are showing up to work and you are contributing based on where your strengths and skill sets are. And when you are operating out of your strengths, there, there is no amount of, of no's or feedback that can shake that because now all of your words, we're, we're basing that on facts and not your feelings. And so a lot of it starts, you know, intrinsic internally. Wow. I'm, I'm glad you touched upon that because I feel like for anyone that's fresh in the industry, um, you know, whether no matter what, no matter what your niche is or which part of the industry you work in, you come in a little bit over, not over ambitious, but you think you have to be every single thing in order to be successful. You have to be the ideator. You have to be the executor. You have to be the researcher. And, and I say that from experience, like I'm thinking that I have to be all of these. And I never really realized that I ha I can pick my role mm -hmm. and do that very well and just know where I'm supposed to be. So yeah. I'm glad you said that because I never really thought of it in that facet. So mm -hmm. for you, your role was more of an ideator. Like you came in with ideas. So I, that was where I, I was told I was a good ideator. And I found out that my I was better at the strategy part of it. I'm Naturally, as a creative, I love being a part of that. But this is also what happens a lot of times. If you work for a small business or, or if you're on a small team, and this is where it starts to jack your mind up, you are being asked to be everything. And, oh, and, okay. and, yeah. and so if your organization or team is asking you to be everything, jack yes. of all trades, master of none, you're, you're eventually, that's not going to be a space where you can thrive in the long term. You're, you're going to get burnt out, first of all, from doing that. And then again, you're not given the, the, what it's due to your natural strengths. And you're going to get frustrated by that as well. Then you're going to get to a point where you're just doing enough to survive. And so for a while, that's what it started being. And I was getting burnt out, trying to play every position on the field. And I, then, you know, it takes some maturity. It takes some learning. It takes working in different work environments. I said, I, I know where I'm the strongest at and I know where I can contribute. And that's on the front end. If you need me at the pop-ups and, you know, passing out bags and managing people and doing all the things, I can do that. But if I'm talking about where I can be most effective, I know it is very clear in this, this phase of work. But wow. yeah, it, it can be very challenging, especially when you're earlier in your career, because a lot of people will ask you, they will ask a lot of you. The good thing is you'll learn very quickly what you do not want to do and what you do want to do. And so pay attention to that. If you are that person who's being asked to do 55 different things, what out of those, are there 25 that you hate? Cool. So, you know, for the next job or when it's annual re review time, what needs to come off your plate or what you want more of on your plate? Hmm. Okay. Being insightful. I love that. So. Yeah. With you, it's very clear that you have a space where you get to speak like this to mm -hmm. a group of women mm -hmm. or a group of girls. And so it all makes sense. You're very in tune and you understand, you know, how to teach people how to put up boundaries mm -hmm. um, because of the many conversations we have. I know this. So I would love for you to start talking about Thrive and which is pretty much what you just gave us mm -hmm. in those, you know, three minutes. <laughs> This is what you're doing with Thriving. Mm -hmm. So tell me how you started your organization and and why, like, how did it come about for you? Yeah. So I always tell people I started Thriving for me, for the girls like me. And how it came was I, for about the 10 years in my career, mm -hmm. I was just working hard. I knew that I was smart. I knew that in a room full of people, my work could set itself apart and I was a high performer, but I was just head down, work, work, work. And I got burnt out at like 28, 29. And I'm like, 
this isn't normal. I'm doing exciting things and I'm backstage and I'm doing this celebrity stuff and I'm not even enjoying it. And I'm like, my pay is not shifting. My title isn't changing. I'm not, I'm getting more tasks, but I can't say that they are elevated tasks. Um, and if they are, I'm not seeing it that way because I'm just tired doing it. And so I realized like, Shavon, you're running and, and, but you're running with no strategy. And you're literally just running into the forest instead of taking a second. And what, who are the mentors, the champions, the executive sponsors? Where are all the resources to help you do this? And I, I did not have that. For me, I worked at a marketing agency. And so a lot of those corporate career accelerator programs, I felt like those weren't for me because I'm not showing up. It was a primarily black organization. So I'm not showing up to work in pencil skirts and you know heels. I'm showing up in sneakers and some jeans, maybe a blazer if I got a meeting later on that day. Um, and so I felt like that was an elite group that I was not, you know, that that didn't include me. And so I said, okay, there has to be something that ha that for the women like me who have all the ambition and all the talent, but you just need it channeled and you need direction and you need help. And, and you can't seem to find that. And so I said, let me create something because a lot of these professional organizations, they also felt very stuffy to me. And I was like, I ain't trying to be with all the Jack and Jill black kids. I shout out to y'all, but I'm like, that, that's not the room for me as a person. I said, I don't want to feel like I'm, I'm stuffy buttoned up. I want to be able to talk about work, how I talk to my friends, um, because how I show up to work, if it's my authentic self, I don't want to have to wear a mask of what I am not. And so that's really how Thriving was born. And it was, how can I help other girls not be Siobhan? Whereby 29 and 34, you are burnt out. You've done all this work and had all these, uh, you know, things, but you don't have that much to show for it. And you don't have, you know, a lot of things in place that would get you to where you're going much faster. And so that's really what Thrive-In is. And so we provide community for Black women. We have professional development programs where we just meet and offer up all the leadership and professional development tools in a way that is very low barrier. And you're surrounded by people who look like you and who understand it. We always tell people you might be the only one at work or in the office, but here, you know, you are never the only one at all. Uh, we do programming. We do networking events for Black women. We connect you with thought leaders. I do not believe that access should be exclusive. And so if there are women who you have, don't always have to buy the $1,000 ticket to the conference to meet said influencer, I can bring them to you because I've been in a lot of those spaces and formed those relationships. And it's like, it don't, it's not the ivory tower. Uh, and so again, we're just, how can we help you get there and not be burnt out, connect you with mentors, give you the resources? What I learned during the pandemic especially with a lot of younger girls in their 20s, a lot of things were assumed about professional development. Working virtually, you're, we've missed a lot of lessons about how to dress professionally, how to maneuver in the workspace because people are just logging into their computer. And so again, you know, how are we filling in the gap? Because we're just expecting you know, Black people and our Black women to show up and know these things, and we don't. And then we show up, we don't feel like we're enough. Then we show up and now we're frustrated. And now we're quitting jobs every other day and we're starting businesses with no plan we just have the heart and the frustration from our own our old jobs. And so again, I don't want the girls to be like me. And so how can I help you on, on your journey as best as I can? In the, the swaggiest black girl, magic, <laughs> beautiful way. And we love it. And so I I'm curious to know your thoughts and feelings around, you know, the, the demographic that you serve, black mm -hmm. Zen. Black, can you say it for me? Yeah, black. We got black genzennial, but black genzennial millennial women. There we go. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like we are a very underserved and disadvantaged community when we 
step into the into the corporate space and in the workforce? Yeah, by, by numbers, we are. Um, we lack representation. There's a lack of leaders who look like us and a lot of accelerator programs to help us. But <coughs> excuse me, where I also think that we're disadvantaged. I think social media has done a disservice to a lot of Gen Z um, and millennial women, especially the Gen Z's, is that we assume that it's going to be a lot easier than what it is. There is, and that, that is a hard pill to swallow because there's so much around quit your job and, you know, they, I'm, it's Friday, I'm logging off at two o'clock and I'm done by three and blah, blah, blah. And, and have your balance and have your boundaries. But if you are telling me that there is a certain level of success that you want, a certain pay that you want, to whom much is given, much is required. And so I think that social media has also, we sometimes can set boundaries to a fault. And we put those boundaries and these strict guidelines in our heads, understanding that you might have to be nimble in what you want. No one's telling you to do it in a way that's unhealthy. No one's telling you to do it in a way that un that compromises your personal values and what work life might look like for you. But you might have to do a late night here and there. Yeah. You, know, you might have to go to an after hours event with your all white team because you need to form some relationships so you can now become a boss and invite other people into the workplace that look like you. You know, you might have to do some of those things. You might have to stretch yourself and learn something new a little bit beyond what they told you in college. And I think that we see so much stuff on social media that um, glamorizes work life or, you know, puts these harsh lines. If they're not doing this, quit your job and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you, you can do that. But you also have to understand you, you will work a little bit. There's some sacrifice required. You might take a hit or two along the way. Know your limits. Know who you are. Again, don't do anything that you feel like is morally against what you want to do and that sways you from your goals. But I think a lot of times we do a disservice to ourselves by assuming that it's, it's going to be easy. And what is the gospel song? Nobody told me the road would be easy. At all. <laughs> it ain't gonna be, if, if, and it, you got to know what you want out of your job because some people, I can wholeheartedly appreciate the people who say, work is not my life. I want to work the least amount to make the most amount of money for my lifestyle. That is one thing. But if you are someone who's trying to grow in your career, who truly is passionate about the work that you do, there there is a different level of, of requirement that and, and sacrifice and work that you're going to have to put in. And, and I cannot undersell that or always make that look cute because it's not going to be at all. The rewards will come, you know, by when you're 40, take all the trips, do the yachts. When you're 30, you know, take four weeks off and have the most grandiose vacations because you've worked and are making a salary that can accommodate that lifestyle. But again, that, that takes effort. Those, yes. those shots and trips to Turks and Caicos, they ain't cheap. Right. And I am glad you touched upon a touch. I'm sorry, touched upon social media being um, a disadvantage for our community, because I feel like this is a running joke on Twitter. Right. But I feel like the word boundaries really altered people's minds mm -hmm. in the wrong direction. Like yep. boundaries are good to have when you're within a toxic space or with, when you're trying to like teach people how to treat you within a space, mm -hmm. boundaries are not, you know, like not showing up for work or not, or logging out early or, you know, when you're not a freelancer, freelance, freelance life is very different. You know, you mm -hmm. get to set your boundaries in a different way. Um, but when you work for a company, you are working underneath somebody else's jurisdiction. So I feel like boundaries in that thing have kind of like altered minds and, Gen Z, I feel like it's kind of rushing, mm -hmm. rushing to where they see someone like St. Bozeman, who's mm -hmm. like, hola, 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 hola. Okay. Totally meant Bozoma St. John. Don't know why I said her name like that during the podcast. 
child, y'all have to bear with me. I I don't know where my head was at. Her name is Bazoma St. John, beautiful and wonderful and well-respected executive in marketing and just an all-around boss businesswoman. If you don't know about her, look her up. But I apologize, Bazoma, if you listen to this podcast and you hear me butcher your name. I am so sorry, but I'm here to correct it. Please forgive me. Bazoma St. John, y'all. Okay, back to the podcast. Who gets to go out and, you know, work remotely and I'm just making this up in Bali. Like, that is a path she she can be on because she's worked for. Read her book. She's earned it. (laughs) She earned every ounce mm-hmm. of it. So I, I think that's interesting that you said social media has been a disadvantage. Um, what do you think that we struggle with the most within a corporate space um, that's not really designed for us to succeed anyway? But yeah. what do we struggle with the most? I think imposter syndrome. When I think about the women that I speak with, 40s, 50s, 20s, 30s, teenagers, yeah. We we think despite all of the examples that we have and the affirmations, we we think that as black women, a lot of us think that we are not enough. We think that we have to fit this prototype of what it means to be successful from our hair to our dress to our intellect to where we went to college to how we speak to how we show up in meetings. And then we get in these spaces and we play small. We you don't want to be the aggressive loud black woman or you're too scared that when you speak it's gonna be wrong and these people are gonna think, who's this little girl sitting at the table with the grown folks? Or oh, here's her with her little HBCU degree and we all got Yale, Princeton, Ivy League degrees. You know, we we still think that we are not enough. And, And what I see is we as black women have all this ambition, but then we don't have any confidence. And and confidence is what accelerates our ambition. That is what takes your your dreams to a reality. And that is where mentors and executive sponsors and just having good people around you um, can help you. And a lot of times I understand that that is a a privilege to some extent, because sometimes we don't have that, which is why Thrive In exists, to stand in the gap. But we, we still, we just do not think that we're enough in so many ways. And I see so many talented Black women who quiet themselves or think because they didn't get the raise that it's them and it's not a toxic environment or it's not a racist environment. They think that it's them. They work with these loud men where I don't talk like that and I'm not as bold. And so where do I fit in? They, they don't know their value. And so I think that that is probably the biggest thing. And I always tell people, you know, when you know who you are, it, you operate off facts. Don't operate off your feelings. Your feelings about who you are are going to lead you astray because those are subjective. They change day by day. But when you operate off the facts of who you are, what is your value? What are you skilled at? What what can you do differently or better than most? Where can you be a high performer? Those are your non-negotiables. Those are those there's no flexibility in that. And I always tell people lean into that because that will really counter a lot of those feelings of not enoughness and unworthiness and imposter syndrome. And if you ain't got it to give for yourself, be vulnerable with your circle and surround yourself with good people because they will pour into you when you don't have it to pour into yourself. Um, but again, we just that confidence. And it'll be the, the dopest women that I will I will think at work, she is a boss. And then we have these intimate settings and thriving, which I love, where women can be transparent and they don't think that. They they think all these other things about themselves. And I just, I'm like, again, let's talk about the facts of who you are because nine times out of 10, you're the dopest person in the room. We are going to over-educate ourselves. We are going to over-prepare more times than not. A lot of times our average is most people's excellent. You know, excellence, you know, we, we don't show up in mediocrity at all. 
but it's just, you know, I try to affirm black women as much as I can because we just life to no point of ours, you know, we, we, we come from oppression. And so it's a lot of times we just absorb what we think the world has defined us to be. Yeah. How do you deal? Do you, how do you deal with that? Um, personally, and I, I want to, maybe the question is how have you overcome those mm-hmm. feelings and emotions? Because, you know, it, I feel like it's easy for, for, you know, we hear all the time, someone tells us to be confident and, mm-hmm. you know, and like you're saying, check the facts, like you are valuable, you mm-hmm. belong in this space, but how do we get to the point where we truly believe that? Is it, is it an internal thing mm-hmm. or is it something that you can speak to yourself and like do for yourself in an exercise that you could do? Mm-hmm. So what is yeah. something that you've done in the past? Yeah. So <laughs> I'm be honest, therapy really helps. And one of the things yeah. my therapist told me is there is a thing called a wise mind, W-I-S-E. And what the wise mind is, is we have the emotional side of our mind. Those are all of our feelings and how we interpret a situation. Then we have the reality, which is the factual side of our brain, which involve, that is how we determine to look at a situation. Our wise mind is that happy medium. It doesn't negate your emotions. It doesn't negate the realities. But when you are able to look at a situation from both factors put together, you can now start to create a roadmap in terms of how you need to navigate a situation and how you might need to think through or process a situation. And so that has really helped me because I'm a tangible person. You got to give me some boom, boom, boom on how to think about it. And so really just processing what are the facts and the feelings? Okay, I feel like I'm not enough. The facts are I have this degree. I've worked in this industry for 10 Mm. years. Okay, but maybe I'm not feeling like I'm enough because I am doing a higher ed strategy. And a lot of my marketing background is more pop culture or it's more, you know, DEI work. So maybe if I'm feeling like there's a weakness there, I'm still I've identified all the realities. I'm not saying I'm dumb and don't know how to do it, but maybe I just need to go educate myself on higher ed marketing in this industry. You know, maybe that's the white space that I need to operate in. And so it takes a time to process. And it's a, it's, a, it's a skill to learn. But that has been very helpful. And again, at the end of the day, I go back to the facts of who I am. Like, like who are you as a person? I'm like, I'm a dope person. I am resilient. You have to, you have, by the time you're in your 20s and 30s, you have survived a lot. God is good. And a lot of people do not make it that far. We have gone through a pandemic. And all of these things. So affirm yourself in who you are. And in those times, if you have to write it out, call a friend. They will remind you as well. For me, as an entrepreneur, it can get tricky because I see so many things around just got this grant. All these people doing these great things on social media for their business. And so a lot of times I'm like, dang, should I be doing more for Thaiman? And like, shoot, why we got an Essence Magazine feature and all. Dang it, dang it, dang it. And I have friends who are business owners and they'll tell me. Like, Siobhan, in the first two years of your business, you have done boom, boom, boom. I've been doing this for 10 years, and I'm just now doing boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, shoot, you're right. Thank you, God. You know, get people to affirm you who you can be vulnerable with when you have those thoughts. Because your friends, they they don't see you how you see you. And so they will clip that so quickly. The good ones will. You ain't got to tell all your fears. (laughs) Um, But keep like one or two in your pockets. But so to summarize it, I would say for me, facts feelings where is the reality where are the people who can affirm you how can i affirm myself and i also just prepare as well like i don't overthink it but if i'm going into meetings i'm like 
you're not about to catch me off guard. If I'm going in on a pitch, I know your brand. I've worked it. I'm like, I probably know your brand better than you. You know, at the, at the mm-hmm. end of the day, you got to be real about where your weaknesses and opportunities are and fill, fill those in. And so it's, it's that's a long way of saying this a lot, but that's really what I have to do and flex that muscle like every day. And get off social media if you're starting to feel a little, uh, like get, get off your phone for the day because you're no. not at a place to handle it today. Yes, because the girls will soft life you until the end of your days like and unless you marry a rich soft life every day is not a reality i love jackie Ida, but she works to make her content he does you, you can, yeah you can profit make profit off of your passion but you're not just about to sit and be cute and period and that's your no unless you marry a ball strategy too girls you gotta you gotta figure out a plan to do that <laughs> so i want to go on to something you said in um in a panel you did, mm-hmm. I forgot the location, but mm-hmm. you said for women, it is a glass ceiling and for black women, it is also double paned. Mm-hmm. What, what did you mean by that? And where, how did you come up with something, something so simple speaking to the corporate life of a mm-hmm. black woman within that space? Cause I think there's a very profound thing to say but I want to know where where were you headed mentally with that? Yeah, no, thank you so much. Um, I think some of that was the writer in me. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> women, and pr- primarily white women, make 82 cents on the dollar for every dollar that a white non-Hispanic male makes. Black women, we just had Black Women's Equal Pay Day um, a couple weeks ago. We're in August right now when this is recording. Black women make 67 cents on the dollar for every dollar that a man makes. That's two different races that we're running. We are trying to catch up with the white women to get 82. And by the time we get there and we're out of breath, feet hurt, tired, but you still not done, girl. You got another race to you got another race to run. And so our barriers are often it's it's never just one barrier, which is for and that's where intersectionality comes in. It's not just that I'm trying to get a promotion, it's that this promotion, I might be the first. And that this promotion, there might be women who are leaders, but there's no black women. This promotion might mean that I still might get paid less. This promotion might mean that I'm still, I'm probably going to work harder because there still might be some doubts of my credibility of, am I worthy of this position? You know? And so our race is just oftentimes, it's just, it's, there's, there's never just one race. There's, there's never just one hurdle that we're going through. There's never just, you know, the glass ceiling for white women is oftentimes when we get a first, you know, the first woman elected to the Supreme Court or, -hmm. you know, when Hillary Clinton, you know, was nominee for a Democratic ticket for a presidential election, it was, you know, a glass ceiling has been shattered. You know, when Vice President Harris was VP, you know, a a glass ceiling has been shattered, but it's like, "Mm, great. (laughs) So love all those accomplishments. And let me take Vice President Harris out of it because she is a woman of color and I love her. But even when you think about Hillary Clinton, you know, for a black woman, again, we had to VP. We still have to go to the presidency. There's just always an additional hurdle for us. And in the workspace, what happens is a lot of the solutions, a lot of the HR policies are not made with that in mind for black women. You know, we are going to do, you know, 10% raises for, for everyone across the board. Okay, if I'm already down here and you're up here, a 10% raise, we're just, I'm still down here. It's still not even hitting the threshold for real. Yeah, exactly. You might be giving me just enough. And now the white woman who likely may not even be as talented as me, now she's getting a little more than enough. 
and I'm, I'm still bare minimal. And so again, it, that representation matters. And especially on the HR side and on those board seats, that's where a lot of those power decisions are made on a lot of companies. Because again, our race can just be a, a little more involved. It can be a little longer. Our, our It's never just a little 400 meter dash for black women. Sometimes it's like two, three laps around it's the track. Never, it's never, it's always something. It's crazy because it's like every so, every few months, or when something historic happens, it's always the first black woman to do, mm -hmm. like Beyonce, literally just yesterday, the first black female artist to gross blah, 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 blah on a tour. It's the fact that it's still a first, even though that mm -hmm. one might be a stretch because that that's a big, you know, big step uh, for, you know, the concert space in general. But um, it's always, it's always a first, like, mm -hmm. it's just, are we still like doing historical moments in 2023? It's always something that runs to my mind when you hear Shikari, the first black girl to do mm -hmm. da da da, or I'm like, dang, like there's still always something to hit. There's always something that we have to work against. It's never just cheers, hooray, mm -hmm. the first whatever, and then it is what it is, you know? And, by, and this is the thing. When we break the glass ceiling, it's still work to be done. I think about Justice Katanji yeah. Brown-Jackson, first black woman appointed to the Supreme Court. Y'all, she is showing up to work in a mess. Uh, affirmative action and women's health rights and all of these things. And so it's, you had such a great accomplishment, but they're still you're still running. When Beyonce <laughs> broke records for the Grammys, I'm, I'm a little biased, but I'm not because I'm like, it's very clear. And I believe it was record of the year that she didn't win. And it was, well, she's already won so many awards, but this was the award. This was the, the award for the best record. Where, and we know that Renaissance was validated, but it's like a lot of you have a problem. You thought that this black woman should just be okay with, she got this, but we, not that bigger one. Not, mm. not, that, not, that, not that Adele level one. You know, it's still, it's still a difference. And so I always say that because I'm like, even at the highest levels of, of fame and of celebrity and of success, like we still oftentimes are, are doubted. There's, there's only one Oprah. There's only one Barack Obama. You know, there's only one Beyonce. And again, even a lot of those people still question, are they, you know, deserving of what they have? And so it's, it's it, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a harder race for us. You know, mm -hmm. what do they say in the five heartbeats? I got to prove my love every night. I got to fight to prove my love. <laughs> we got to fight every day. Every day. And it's like, because they are not, because they are alive and living, it's not really, they're not really allowing anyone else to get a piece of the pie because mm -hmm. it's like, well, they have it. So they don't need, we can't allow them to have X, Y, Z because mm -hmm. baby girl's already sitting here and another mm -hmm. one is already here. So it's just like, that's a, mm -mm. that's yeah. a very interesting topic. And I feel like that's a conversation within itself Oh yeah, um, that we can talk about, but I do want to know from you, what is something you wished um, that you learned about early in your career? I would say hard work alone won't get you there. You know, if I had to go back and speak to Little Chev, it was nice. those 10, 12 hours and late nights in the office. It's cool, but it, it's not going to get you there. You have to be strategic. Do you have mentors? Are you asking for the right amount of pay? Have you... What, what are your goals within the workspace? And are the work that you're putting in, is that getting you there? Who has visibility to your work? Are you posting on LinkedIn? You just did these really cool brand things or are you just sending your deck off and your pitch and going back to the next thing where it starts and ends at your boss or that one manager? Like, how are you amplifying your work? You know, it, it's just head down, work, work, work. And so for me, I got 
I think what happened was I, I got passed over for so many opportunities because I wasn't building relationships. I wasn't amplifying my value. So people really just identified me with the company that I work for. And I'm like, I'm so much more than that. I'm actually this creative and marketer and strategist. You don't even know what all I can do because you're seeing my work and you're thinking it's just the companies and not that Siobhan was behind it. I didn't even champion myself um, and amplify myself. I just thought I would lead with my work and the, the hard work alone, hard work is required. Smart work is really what's, what, what, is you, what you need to do. Um, but the hard work alone, it, it's not going to get you there. There, there are strategies to success. Um, and again, that's where mentors and coaches will really help guide you, but don't, don't just run in the hamster wheel. One, two years, three years go by. If you're still working 10, 12 hour days, no promotion, you, you have to do something different. And so I feel like that knowledge and wisdom comes from a, a specific place of you, you know, not really, I'm not sure if it's giving up, but like feeling a little down about the positioning you played within your career. So what were, were there any moments where you felt like you weren't going to continue doing this work the way you had planned? Yeah, it was during the pandemic. I worked for a small business business owner and I got so many great opportunities and it was really my professional development training um, and laid a great foundation for me. But during the pandemic, you know, we saw the toll it took on small businesses. And so the business went in the, to hyper drive. And so it was working around the clock. And so for me, it was that burnout. It was, I'm not getting paid enough to be here. I don't even enjoy being here. I enjoy taking a walk at lunch and exercising and I'm working from home. So I'm seeing all these things that make work comfortable for me around my home. And I'm like, it, it's not going back to work here when I'm thinking about what makes me happy. And so that was really where I was like, okay, something has to change. The, the job is not going to change. The employer is not going to change. So it has to be me. Um, and so I, I decided I had to make a bold move if I wanted to live this bold and amazing life. And so I'm like, I had to quit this job that I identified with so closely. And I said, let's, let's bet on yourself, you know, take charge of yourself. You have soaked in the knowledge you've identified. I said earlier, you know, I would get frustrated because I couldn't do the ideas the way I wanted them. So I was like, okay, go, go girl, make your own business, do, do what you want to do. And let, let's really put some, some passion and some drive around it. Um, yeah. but yeah, it, it was just, that that and my whole segue into entrepreneurship it was a whole leap of faith and lesson because entrepreneurship there it can be unpredictable it can be unprecedented in whatever you do and so it's you really only have yourself to bet on a lot of times and you don't know what is going to happen and so for me it was just hey you you got to do it you 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 got to do it what were some what were some things that you learned about yourself when you pivoted into entrepreneurship Okay, so I am an introvert by nature. And being an entrepreneur, you have to talk about your business. And so I tell people I can be a fake extrovert when I have to. I'm very comfortable just at home. And if I'm at panels and networking events afterwards, I'm like, I, I got to go home and just chill and be quiet. Yeah. But entrepreneurship showed me that I was able to push myself outside of that comfort zone of, you know, standing against the wall. And it was like, and I didn't die. You know, and Anna was like, I can actually speak confidently about it. I realized that I knew so much more about the marketing industry, about the work that I'm doing. I would light up when I would talk about Thrive In. People felt my passion for the business. And so I didn't know that I had that in me because I always had the comfortability of being behind another organization and being behind my boss. And so I'm like, oh, shoot, girl, you really got all these parties. You can really be a boss yourself. It's like, okay, <laughs> bet. Um, and so that surprised me. But my, my work ethic did not change. I was a hard worker, 
um, within an organization. And so I was still a hard worker. So that didn't surprise me. That actually gave me a lot of um, encouragement as an entrepreneur and trust in myself. Because I said, Shania, you know how to work. So you're not going to let this brand die and you're not going to be broke because you know how to get a job. You kept one for 10 years and you get 12, 15 hour days. So I'm like, bet freelancing, if I got to do the business and freelance on some projects and I'm working a nine hour day, oh, bet I can do that. And I can work on my own hours. I ended up working more and making more money. But it's so, yeah, but it was just that, that I think I, I realized that I was more, so much more than what I thought I was. You know, I always thought that I was kind of the, the sidekick, the, the Robin to the Batman and never thought that I could be the Batman. And so when I got my business, I said, you know, I have to be the front face of the business. I my social media needs to reflect it. I need to be able to talk about it to my friends. You know, all the other things that I've learned, I have to do the finances. I'm like, should you've managed projects. If you know how to manage a project, you're managing budgets. You know how to you know, educate yourself around things that you might not know. You know how to self-teach. And so I was just like. Okay. I was like, okay, girl, you, you got a lot of this. You didn't think that you did, um, but you do. And so you're going to be all right. Hmm. I love that. And I think that that's a good way to look at your entrepreneurial journey and to reflect upon, you know, like your own skills. Cause when you do work under people for so long, mm -hmm. you don't even realize that you can be in their seat. Mm -hmm. You already do the work for them in mm -hmm. a sense. And so I love that journey for you. And I love that you've made, you've made it there for yourself. And, you know, if you could take this time to speak to Black Gen Zenial women, and this is your, not your last time, but if you had this one time to speak to them and let them know um, a piece of advice about this journey that they're going to take, whether they are the entrepreneur or whether they are someone that sees themselves um, mm -hmm. thriving within the corporate space, what would you tell them? I would say, and I think I mentioned this earlier, um, and I had to come to this revelation about myself. You, you are so much more than what you think you are in good or bad ways, however you want to take that. And it's, go back to the facts of who you are. Look at your life experiences. A lot of us have been through some stuff and you have gotten yourself to this point. And so why would you not think that you can get to the, another point? You know, you you you've made the vision board. You've done the cute little exercises with your friends. Let's go to the next step. You you might have raised yourself, so you know how to take care of yourself. You might have lived on a seven dollar an hour paycheck after college. You didn't go hungry. You didn't go broke. You know how to manage little to make more of it. So you you are so much more than what you think of yourself. And then I will also say, you know, be realistic as well around aspirationally who you want to be and where you are. You know, one of the best pieces of advice a friend had gave me was, you know, don't be so inflated in how you think of yourself, but don't be intimidated by who you think you can be. So don't think higher of yourself than what you all really are. You might be two years into the job. You can be a boss. You might not be a boss at two years and that's okay. Learn get do all the development that you need so that you can go to that goal and don't be intimidated and think that that's too big of a goal for you you yeah. might not be a business owner and your business might not be the next you know facebook but who's to say that it couldn't be believe in yourself but be realistic about where you are now don't try to over inflate that on social media don't try to make it some bigger thing be still be present and be grateful for the moment that you are in and don't be intimidated by what you're asking the universe or God or whomever you serve for because you're worth it. And again, you know, I could preach, but if he has brought you this far in life, who are you to think if he did it before that he cannot do it again? If you did it before, why can't you do it again? You know, to whom much is given, much is required. Do the work, 
a bold life requires bold moves. And so you you can do it. Be bold. Do it. You you are worth it. And you are so much more than what you think of yourself. Snap, 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 snap. And that is a sermon from Pastor Siobhan. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That is such an amplifying message. And I, I want to know, I feel like you are someone that is big on legacy. Mm-hmm. What, what do you hope that your legacy is? Um, in your community once you know it's all said and done? What are you hoping you leave behind? I hope that it's two things. I hope that I leave behind open doors for women where it's, you know, she she blazed the trail for me or she widened the pathway for me or widened the gap um, for me so that I can do it. And it's like, shoot, you know, it, the Siobhan and her work, it was a key differentiator for how I am able to move and accelerate through life. Um, and so that's one thing. I really want to open doors and, and have that lasting impact. I always tell people, you know, is what is your success? Like, what is your success? And mine is really about significance. And it's I lead with impact. Um, and if there's no impact, what are we doing it for? If you just want to do it for money, okay. But I'm like, I, I want something more than that. And then I think the other thing on the personal side is I really want people, like my legacy is like, she did it. So can I, you know, because if, if she did it, it's like, why not me? You know, if Tyler Perry were homeless and sleeping in his car and he is now a billionaire who has created so many opportunities for other people, you know, if Beyonce was five years old singing and dancing at her mom's hair salon and she is now the greatest entertainer of our generation, Michelle Obama, South Side of Chicago, who is now the epitome of elegance and, you know, achievement for black women. You know, I want people to really be inspired by my story. You know, Siobhan, who was this shy, quiet little girl who held up the wall, who at the clubs would say, girl, I will hold y'all's bags. Y'all go ahead. Um, Who was just so so quiet and just, you know, walked around with my head down. You know, if she can pick her head up and, you know, start this business or come out of the blah, 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 or go from, you know, doubting herself and being so quiet to now just, just taking a chance. And doing what she loves, wherever and how it landed, she took the leap and she ain't died. You know, she took the leap and landed on her feet and hopefully created some paths within it. Then, you know, dang, I think I can do it too. And it's like, you can, girl. And you, you I, I want you to do it better and bigger than me and bring a, a throng of other people with you. But yeah, I think that that is my legacy. And hopefully I have a cute little black girl and thriving in a multi-million dollar entity. And, you know, little Nola sets it off and makes us, you know, this billion dollar brand. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> <laughs> from your mouth to God's ears <laughs> yes and so we've reached the end of the podcast um, episode with you Siobhan I want to thank you so much again for coming by and talking you know outside of the space you're very much someone that has helped guide me on my own career path um, so I can attest to the fact that everything that you are building with Thriving is legit Thank and you, you are not out here trying to take people's monies like mm-hmm. some of these other companies um, our brunches ain't just for your $50 ain't just to come get cute and wear a garden outfit we we'll go to brunch yeah. this, this is real work and you really are someone that gives um, black girls the keys to survive and thrive Thank you. in corporate America. So um, I so appreciate you. Um, And yeah, until next time, everyone, that is No Holding Back, the podcast. Thank you so much. Bye.